All right, uh, welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast. Um, super excited for this episode, guys. Um, we have Sean Francis on. Uh, this is amazing. Um, we've had Sean on before, and Sean, I can't believe how much my pod, I feel like my podcast has evolved since we first did our first episode together. That was at that mall vault. I don't know if you remember. Oh, yeah, totally, man. Yeah, yeah, and I, I really like where, where the podcast has gone. Um, I feel like initially it was just kind of like almost an introduction to pole vault for people, but now we've kind of delved into a lot of different issues. Um, and uh, just to get this out of the way real quick, um, obviously anybody interested, you can follow us at The Real Apex Vaulting on Instagram, and we also have Apex Vaulting on Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter. Um, I don't post a lot on LinkedIn, but I'm going to try. Uh, but yeah, we're all over there. And if anybody has any comments or questions, make sure to uh, email us at apexvaulting at gmail.com dot com um which that that's the cool thing i wanted to ask you about that too it's like how awesome is it to get you know like emails or contact from people looking for for information i i just i feel so humbled all the time that that people want to know what i think like like send me some video and ask hey like you know help me out help me coach this kid or a kid will send me their own video i mean do do you enjoy that part like is is that oh i love it yeah it's it's my favorite part man um yeah, and is what ended up happening is um, over time because I've been doing like the the vlog for about six years now, mm-hmm. and it it just got to be a lot because as it grew, then all of a sudden I'd have a hundred emails, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. jumps to look over. So yeah, you just it, it's still it's still great, and I can't believe people are come out, mm-hmm. or just come ask me questions you know it's like i'm just a pole vaulter too i I still look at myself that way i'm still trying to figure this puzzle out just like everyone (laughs) else is Mm -hmm. i might just be a little farther along the journey but yeah that it's it's totally my favorite part especially when someone has a breakthrough so i I always tell people progress reports are my favorite like oh i tried that thing you sent me or that video you showed me and i pr'd by like a foot and you're like oh my god yeah, and, and you, you know what I find amazing because I think about it almost um, as the evolution of like helping an area, right? Um, right? So like I always talk about like when pole vault clubs first come to an area, what happens is the marks shoot up. You know, you're getting that nine, ten foot girl that didn't have a coach. You're getting that twelve, thirteen foot boy that didn't have a coach. So obviously these kids like shoot up, right? An area like right. blossoms because you barely have to even like you just like kind of tweak a couple things and these kids start jumping high. And I feel like when you're helping people through social media and emails and stuff like that, that's kind of what's happening. You're helping a kid. That that's already somehow gotten to a certain point, whatever the height is, without a coach. So it's like that little bit of instruction, just being able to say, hey, maybe if you just try out some of these drills and apply it to your jump, and man, you see this great progress. And it's, it's, it's so fulfilling. I, lo- I love helping out. But I, I feel like that's kind of what happens. Like, I, and I, I don't know. I mean, look, I think, one, you're a great inspiration for a lot of people. And I was saying to someone the other day, once I, I, I knew you were going to do the podcast, I was like, now some other people are actually starting to post instructional stuff, which I think is awesome. You know? Yeah. So you really yeah. inspired that. You know, I mean, heck, that's kind of why I got into the social media aspect, too. Oh, thank, well, thanks, man. I'm, I'm bad with compliments, so I'll just say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good. You're good. Yeah, no, yeah, it was a weird thing. It was just, uh, it, it started as a way just to kind of, kind of stay in touch with this group I left up in North Dakota when I moved down to Minnesota. And then it mm-hmm. kind of evolved into, man, I wish I had these when I was in high school or when I was in college. So mm-hmm. I'm going to just post all the stuff I 
I yeah. found, you know, and give people shortcuts. So hopefully this sport can grow faster. Yeah. Like you said, you get those kids, you know, who uh, don't have a coach or coaches who never coached before. Mm-hmm. And those, those are the most rewarding ones because I uh, just gave them the basics, fundamentals to, you know, get the sport rocking and rolling. And especially with those kids, you know, I always go back to like, if, if the, it's great because you attract the kids who want to put in the work and mm-hmm. want to work hard and want to try this stuff. Right. So you, you don't end up with, you know, a team full of people who just want to hang out with their friends, which is, can be fun too. But if you, you know, I mean, you want to see kids jump high, you know, we're trying to solve the sport too. Right. And, um, yeah, I just, I just, I'm, you, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm surrounded by just motivated athletes and coaches all the time because that's the only people who contact me who want to, you know, solve this or solve this puzzle. Right. No, of course. I, I, you know, that that's a the lucky thing too, even of having a a pole vaulting club. Right. It's like I have athletes that come to my club because they want to get better at pole vault. So yeah, like everyone's super motivated. I mean, look, real talk. Obviously, every once in a while, you have an athlete that might be like hanging on you know what i mean uh sometimes but look they all come to you excited to learn and it's it's awesome and what i really feel like you know a lot of people talk about like growing the sport but like through social media what you've done it's growing the sport you know because what you're doing is you're providing this information that people never used to be able to find i mean we, we were just talking before we started the podcast i mean it's almost impossible to find information on pole vaulting. I mean, like, talk about, like, you know, your thesis paper that you brought up. Oh, yeah. we were, Like, when I was doing my thesis, you know, I, I got an email from another kid a couple of weeks ago looking for research on the pole vault so he could, you know, send it to his coach because his coach wanted some raw data on um, if, he, if, gymnastic, if he should be doing gymnastics as pole, part of his pole vault training. Right, right, right. And, and so I, I'm... I just thought back to like my thesis and I have all the uh, references underneath it of all the pole vault data I've had mm-hmm. or that I found in the process. It was all in the like seventies, eighties and early nineties. Like, just right. not a lot. And the stuff that came out later is mostly from Pete McGinnis or IAAF or, or something like it, just on speed numbers to the most right. part where people are gripping. But right, right, yeah, there right. isn't a lot on, you know, forces going into the box or, you know, how much pull how much forces are going into poles or, you know, top hand pressure or any any of that stuff. Right. Just these questions people have and then like we were talking earlier, it turns into this religion versus politics kind of a thing. Yeah. Like are is it is there data to back this up or do you just have this belief because you've seen it but you don't quite understand it so then you just want to connect the dots instead of leave the dots open to yeah. confirm it with data right yeah. and what what i always find interesting with athletics right is you know i'll give two non pole examples in a second but it's like a lot of times the laboratories where there's mass numbers you know being experimented on are let's say a gym or a club where there's coaches working with athletes and oftentimes a lot of the research is not done in those areas like they take like one or two athletes and then maybe there's a cross section of non-athletes and you know whatever like um there was this one uh, thing i read about uh west side barbell which is a strength and conditioning gym in in columbus ohio um their coach louis simmons is famous like they've had more thousand pound squatters than any other gym and they do a lot of work with bands and chains so they'll attach bands and chains to the barbell you know so that you get accommodating resistance as you as you go through the movement and you know a lot of people be like well they did research and they said it makes no impact at all (laughs) 
And Louis, Louis goes, well, you didn't do that research in my gym, so why don't you come over here and do the research and tell me that it didn't help my guys squat a thousand pounds, exactly. you know? And and so that that's one interesting one. And then I don't know if you ever heard of Joe DeFranco, but he's a streaming conditioning guy that's actually from Jersey, but he's pretty well known. He worked with Triple H and the uh, WWE, and yeah. um, he said, you know, he was doing a lot of like uh, sled pushes, sled pulls, heavy, you know, and. He would get people that are like, well, the research shows that that's really bad. Like, you shouldn't do that, and that's not going to make anybody faster. And he's like, wait a second. I've had, like, hundreds, thousands of people come through my gym, and they're getting faster. Like, I'm not going to stop. Like, this has been working. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like that's that's where it's tough with research and sports. And, yeah, you know, I mean, what what do you think about that? How do you handle that as a coach, you know, if you're trying to decide what to do? I personally just don't think people understand research. You know, that we're, we're not in a very science-minded um, society. That's that's just my personal thought on the issue. Because if if you take one variable, like you said, pushing um, or pulling a pushing a sled, mm-hmm. and it's, that doesn't make you faster, right? But mm-hmm. it's doing something. So okay, so it might not make you faster in the aspect of the variable you're testing. So then, mm-hmm. what is it doing? And then what? Is it a holistic approach of all these things? Maybe pushing right. a sled helps with, you know, maybe not the speed components. Because I, I, didn't, I didn't read the research, but right, right, right. what are they measuring? ATP synthesis, or are they measuring, you know, contractions of the muscles, or what? Right. Are, like, what are they measuring? Right. But on the other side, it could be setting them up so they're firing in the right order. You know, right. so if it's doing that, that will make you faster. Right. But that's the problem. Is there's so many variables and. Yeah. Um, just athletics in general and then pole vault's just way too many variables too so people are trying to separate into this black or white thing when yeah. I don't think it ever will be I've kind of gotten to that point in my career in, as coaching and a pole vaulter where there's there's lots of ways to do this sport so yeah. if people are trying to look for the one way to do it I think they're just going to be searching forever <laughs> well you know you know what's funny I have like two thoughts on that one I yeah. love I love when coaches are like you can't jump like that you'll never jump high and I'm like well I've seen someone jump high like that <laughs> like literally <laughs> you know it's like I dude I the what I love telling people is when I first started coaching there was a local college in there at Fairleigh, Fairleigh Dickinson which never has a pole coach they had this kid what a stud he jumped 15-9 without turning right. yeah so it's like I love when people are like oh you'll never jump high without turning I'm like well alright well I've seen a lot of crazy stuff dude like you know yeah. um, so anything can happen and, and then the other thing is like I feel like as a coach right if you put your ego to the side and you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes to help my athletes be successful, whether that's PR, get their league title, you know, whatever, then it opens the door to a lot of possibilities. I mean, I had a girl one year, she was just, man, she was having a, such a tough time planting the pole. And she, I'd been coaching her already like a year and a half. And she had a month and a half left of her senior year. And I was like, you know what? We're going to do an overhead carry. Like, that's it. Like, you're going to leave the tip on the ground. You're going to drag it. And she ended up PRing that season. In the summer, we went back to trying to work on the plant because long term, you know, I I think that's better. But it's like when you're you're doing what's best for the athlete, it kind of opens up the possibilities for you to, I think, experiment yourself and see what is going to help this athlete, you know? Totally. Yeah, you just play. I had an athlete when I was a young coach up at at NDSU, and uh, it was the first club I had. And you know, we couldn't get her to drive her knee at all, you know, and driving your knee is, that's one of the most important things to pull vault, you yeah, know, at the yeah, time, yeah. to be honest with what they tell you. And mm-hmm. so we just rolled with it. It was like, oh, let's just drop that leg. You know, you were a gymnast, 
couple yeah. legs swimming this thing up and sure enough she won state that year you know <laughs> by a foot and a half <laughs> no you can't win states without a drive knee come on you can't win state without a drive knee because you know the scorekeepers on the side will give you a bad beautiful technical score you know? yeah like, I, it, that, that's the funny thing right it's like no you're not getting judged it's just whoever clears the bar you know yeah and, people forget that <laughs> I, and I think it also it just depends on which side you're on, right? Like if you're the one who jumps the highest that day, you're like, well, whatever, I jumped the highest. And if you're someone who didn't win that day, you're like, well, well, my jump is prettier, you know? It's like I feel like that's the normal emotions of an event in pole vault, and it's like I, I just I laugh when I kind of see it because I've been both places, <laughs> you know right. what I mean? So yeah, I think that's athletes got to put their ego aside too, just like coaches, you know? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, look, even at, like you said, as an athlete, it's like, look, you're trying to win, so you got to do what it takes to win. And so you might have that pretty jump, and maybe it is very efficient, but then clearly you got to work on your strength and conditioning and get faster and stronger so you can grip higher, get on bigger poles, and, and jump higher, you know? Yeah, that's the cool part. That's what I try and teach my kids. Like, if, if a kid doesn't have what a technique that looks efficient right mm-hmm. that's, that's how we'll say it yeah but they still beat you so how did they beat you well they were faster all right so you have more efficient technique so what would happen if you get faster oh yeah that that then good things will happen you know, <laughs> yeah bigger pr so yeah i usually just approach it like that so then i try and keep the the judgment out of it as much as i can which i Mm-hmm. So I, I fight with that because does it take away the competitiveness or, or not? That's mm-hmm. kind of where I struggle with that one. But it seems to create an overall better, you know, team har- harmonious environment. I guess you can say. Well, People well, seem to match better. Right. Well, yeah. I think for one, I mean, I'm big on competing. You know, I talk about that yeah. in practice. I'm always like, guys, you got to be competing. Got to push each other. You know. Um, right. But at the same time, I totally agree with you. Like, I want all my athletes to look at the pole vault like a puzzle. You know, and I know you talk about it like that too. You know, yep. and you're trying to figure out this puzzle or or this problem. And you know, is it technical? What piece of the technique? You know. Is it physical? Maybe you have a physical deficiency. Well, what do you got to work on? Because even like, even in strength and conditioning, I mean, look, you might have some kids that on the runway, they're awesome, but just on the pole, they're bad. So you got to work upper body, you know? And so it's like, you got to know what to hit. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's all part of putting this, this huge puzzle together. And then everybody's got to address their own personal environment. Like, I feel like that's something that's not respected enough in pole vault is like context. You know, it's like, sure, maybe this drill or maybe this system or maybe that warm up works for your environment, but not everyone's environment. You know, like sometimes I love when people post like, like pool vaulting, but it's like, okay, but what, what does the team do that doesn't have access to a pool? Right. You, you know what I mean? So it's like not not trying to bash pool vaulting. I think I think there's, there's oh, definitely no, I'm, I'm with yeah, you, man. there's definitely a place for that. But it's just like you know we have to understand everybody's context. And I what I've done this season that I think is is so fun, but it's definitely something that if I'm being honest, I didn't want to do in years past. But I finally started to put kind of I guess my business hat on. But outdoors, like all these coaches, they want coaching for their kids, but outdoors, they want their kids coaching on campus, you know, at their schools. And so now I basically have done like a rent a coach program. So like for a hundred dollars a day, I go out to whatever uh, school, uh, school wants me and I coach their athletes. And listen, I cannot run the practice the way I run it at my club. At my club, we have 10 kids or less to, to a coach. And I, I mean, I showed up to the one school and where I think most people would be like, holy shit, and they would be, you know, really pissed. I was excited. They gave me 50 kids. 
Jeez. <laughs> yeah, but the way you have to approach 50 kids, you got to get creative and you got to think on your feet of like what drills you're going to coach, how you're going to coach 50 kids through this drill, and how to get them all on the runway and and cycle through stuff. And and you know what? It like it really worked out well. And what I what I was amazed at is how some kids kind of almost naturally picked it up. You know? Oh, totally. Yeah. It sounds like my camps. You know, I, mm-hmm. I run these traveling camps and they um. I never know what I'm going to get, you know, like the first year, you know, you might get six and then Mm -hmm. next year I I had like 30 and then next year it was 40 and then all of a sudden you're having all these kids. So yeah, the juggling becomes a whole nother, yeah, it it, it gets kind of wild sometimes, but it sounds like you kind of, like we do something similar. You just Mm -hmm. almost stations in a way and make sure, you know, lines of kids. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You don't have enough bowls, you know? Yeah. 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 It works. Yeah. It it almost, uh, the way I I, I think about it, it almost looks like a, you know, like an army, you know, it's like an army going through their, their like March, you know, (laughs) it's weird. It kind of taught me though, that like less feedback is better because it gave kids a way to almost just play for a while. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't when I have small groups, it's almost every jump. I right. used to just give a little bit of feedback. Yeah, that right. was good. You know, a little bit more, you know, a little bit less. Let's try to work on top arm a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And then with those big groups, it turned into, okay, I can tell you one thing, but there's 50 other people I got to talk to. So I'm right. going to miss you for about three or four jumps while you're doing like Francoise or something on a high bar. Right. You know, and then when I come back, it was almost better just because they figured it out on their own because play, man. I think there's just this power in play. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's now I coach a little different after I was doing these camps. It just, you know, what did, what did you feel on that one? And then they tell me, I'm like, all right, let's try it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't give as much feedback. No, it, and, and, you know, I think that's super important too because – I think a lot of times in the pole vault, um, it's very common that people kind of coach in a, in a bubble, right? It's like they might coach at a college or a school and you have like three or four kids and, you know, maybe every year you pick up one or two new kids, you know, you just need enough to fill out the, the meets, you know, it's like you, you need three or four or whatever. And, you know, it's like, but that's like it, that's not a real coaching environment when you compare it to other sports, you know what I'm saying? Like other sports, yeah. the reason they work is there's numbers behind it. And I think one of the things that I think is super important, like literally that day when I showed up and there was 50 kids and I was like, most pole vault people would be like, this is unacceptable. Like I'm not dealing with this right now. But the right. thing is like for our sport to become popular, we have to be able to do this, right? If one person can work with 50 kids, obviously that's not like maybe how an elite group would train or whatever, but it's like, to get kids going. It's like, you know, when kids show up to a soccer camp or a soccer practice for some, it's not like there's like, you know, one coach for every five kids. It's no, there's maybe like one coach for every 25 kids, you know? Right. And so it's like, we've got to be able to kind of do that to also kind of help grow our sport and nurture it, you know? Yeah. It's, it's totally a numbers game, you know? So yeah, it's, it's a weird balance of how to, how to figure that out. Um, I'd, I'd love to have every school have 50 kids. Yeah, when we get there, we'll be calling you, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, another kind of interesting thought off of that is like, I'm, I, I would like to get your thoughts on this. I, the longer I coach, the more I'm about training groups and not one on one. Because I feel like just one-on-one, it, it, you, again, you're in that like kind of bubble, that echo chamber, and it's like it's real easy, you know, and I'm going to give you the coach's perspective to be like, hey, let's do this drill, and then you're doing it, and you're like, well, this isn't working, and 
I can't really say anything to you, so it's like, all right, well, let's do the thing that you like, and then, you know what I mean? And it's like, it's this weird dynamic, whereas if you have a training group, it's like, no, that's cool, you cannot do that drill, but you know John is, like, kicking your ass now, and that drill was written for him, you know? So, you know, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, to me, they're totally two different dynamics, like you just Mm -hmm. said. Um, Yeah, the the one-on-one's tough for me, because it feels like there's just a ton of downtime, you know? Um, And then... I feel like there's a power of kids standing in line, you know, mm-hmm. cause they're, they're thinking about their jump. They have time to process what's going on next. Mm-hmm. And I find when I do one-on-one stuff, I end up talking to the, the vaulter too much, you know, and yeah. they might miss some of that processing stuff. So yeah, I like groups of, I don't do groups any less than four anymore. Like mm-hmm. four is my, and that's still low. I like, yeah. I like around eight. Is kind yeah. Of a yeah. Magic number. Um, yeah, it's it just, you need, you need, I think for me, they, the athletes need time to process what they just did to think about their jump. Because if they're in line, they're doing mental reps, which mm-hmm. are, are really good. And then on the second tier, like the competition, like you were talking about, if you see someone jump a bar, it's going to be easier for the next kid to jump a bar. Because like, oh, sorry to jump. It's not this unattainable, crazy thing out of reach. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, they just did that drill. Okay, then they watch that person and then into this thing right. or they end up talking about Fortnite or something and yeah. they're not doing mental reps <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and look and, and that's the thing that's the beautiful thing about our sport is that it is a social sport so I mean I you know you can't knock that either but oh, yeah. one thing I was going to say too is like okay like imagine like I got a private lesson with Sean Francis you know it's like you may demonstrate the drill and I'm like, okay, but that's Sean. Like, obviously he can do it. Like, this is so hard, you know, but it's like when you're in a group and you see someone, your peer do it, then you're like, oh, I got to figure this out. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? I think that, that helps a lot too, you know? Yeah. The, I've had that at like big meets, you know, or, um, you know, 550 seems like a big bar, 18 feet yeah. seems like a big bar. And then you see a bunch of guys in the meet with you just repping it and you go, oh, I guess it's not that high. Yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then, yeah, it's, it's the whole meat changes. And those are the meats I, I've always PR'd in, you know, or, oh, mm-hmm. it's not that high. So that's where I'm kind of sold. A lot of it's, a lot of it pull vaults in your head. You know, if you can manage the head stuff, like your body will follow. Yeah. Well, so. I, I always bring up that whole, uh, that Roger Bannister story. And for people who don't know, Roger Bannister was a, a, a mile runner, a distance runner. And, um, you know, he was the first one to break the four minute mile. And it was like this like unattainable goal. And when he did it, I think the next year, 36 guys broke the four minute mile. So it's like that, that mental aspect of sport, like what's possible, you know, it's like, even I, I noticed like in an area, like when I, when I first started coaching, um, at the high school I was at, I think this girl's school record might've been like eight, three. And I had like 10 girls trying it. And I was like, look, like we got to get somebody to jump 10. And they looked at me like, whoa, like, nobody jumps 10 here. Like that's like other people do that. Like those are like weird, strange genetic monsters or something. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and and then it's like, but once you get like that first kid to start PRing, break the school record, then you get others excited. And then, and then, then people really can believe that they can do something, you know, but that, that mental side of it is huge. You know, whereas if you're doing like, and here's the thing, I think there's obviously a place for like one-on-one, like private lessons and stuff like that. Like sometimes I get parents call me and like, you know, they're worried their kid has never pulled vaulted before and they'd like a private lesson just so like I can take them through everything. I'll do like one max, like two with a kid. Cause at that, at that point I tell the parent, I'm like, look, they know the system. They should join a practice session. They got to work with others. Um, maybe sometimes you have a kid that's like prepping for nationals or something and you got to have a certain practice. I, I don't know. 
maybe you could do it for that. But I'm always, I'm, I'm with you. I, I like the group training way more. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather have groups, just like I said. But uh, yeah, there's, it's, it's a range, right? So there's always rules to the exceptions. So, right, right. Yeah, maybe, maybe you have a kid who's just, you know, kind of embarrassed and doesn't want to look weird and stupid in front of kids right away, mm. so they just want to try it. You know, maybe yeah. that's a good stepping stone to, uh, oh yeah, you got this. And then right. that's how you get them hooked into the sport versus if you try to throw them into a group right away, they might not show up. So yeah, there, there's, it, it's like we were talking about, I think before the, the phone call, there's a lot of tools, man, and mm-hmm. one doesn't work for everybody. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think the, the more that you have, the better. I mean, it's almost like, um, you know, in the, I, I, I don't know about you, but like, I've looked at a lot of other sports and a lot of other arenas. And one of the ones that I really like, and obviously it's, I think comes hand in hand with pole vaulting. You need it is the strength and conditioning world. And I just, you know, you look at the strength and conditioning world, they're never like, well, we just do this exercise. This is the only lower body exercise we do. We do sumo deadlift, nothing else. And it's like, no, you, you have to have as many exercises in your tool bag, you know what I mean, so that you can address every athlete's needs. And I think pole is the same way. It's like you you got to – like what I find funny is like sometimes people who knock, let's say, this technique or that technique and have never tried it. Right. You know, it's like give it a shot. See what it feels like. There's no no harm. You're not, you know, and, and and maybe you can take some drills or some approaches that that system has produced and help your kids out. Because it's like, yeah, you, you know, to yeah. me, I, I'd hate to not be able to help somebody just because I didn't have that extra tool. You know, I didn't have that extra drill or I didn't have that that different style or approach. You know? Yeah, and and uh, that's kind of what I picked up at when I, I i looked for a month at daniel ryan's in his mm-hmm. trailer and you know there, there's one blue book out there i, I always tell everybody like mm-hmm. it, there, that's like our bible right there's yeah. a there's the beginner to boobka that's and that's it there's mm-hmm. really not much else out there yeah and so but you have these guys from earl belt you know jumping into their 40s most of them mm-hmm. you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> and making olympic teams late in their career and early in their career mm-hmm. and you know one of them had the american record for a long time and a bunch of 19 foot guys and so you're like wait so what are they doing so when daniel was telling me about some of the stuff they were doing um like opening up shoulders and things like that i'm going mm. this goes against everything i've ever learned in my entire life i don't this, this can't be right but right yeah I, but then like you were saying i go oh but this would be a cool tool you know or maybe it's better than what i'm doing you know right. maybe it'll help me out so i tried it out i did a practice down there with them and i haven't jumped in two years mm. and i opened up my shoulder and there was zero pain in my shoulder and if people know my history like i've had yeah. shoulder surgery and you know all sorts of craziness with my right shoulder mm-hmm. there's zero pain in my shoulder and zero pain in my back right and so it's like oh this is weird maybe it's because i haven't jumped in two years so i'm gonna try it the old way and then boom pain in both like instantly yeah. so yeah it was, it was strange but it's uh another thing i'm kind of excited to explore a little bit about before i hang up the vlog you know Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it, but yeah, it, it's just I saw another big tool that hey, maybe this will help out a lot of kids, especially ones with bad shoulders and backs, or maybe maybe it'll add more energy. In the, I have no idea. I'm just I'm yeah. learning this one too. Right? But, no, I mean, look, I, I think that learning all those different disciplines and those approaches, I, I I think is huge. Like a lot of times, like I talk to people, it's like, <laughs> you know, I, I coach my system, you know, and I I do what I do. And people are like, well, what about this? Have you thought about it? I'm like, well, actually, I used to coach like that. 
You know what I mean? Like I, I've evolved over the years. I've gotten to this point. Like I'm very familiar with what you're telling me, you know? And, and so it's like, that's the thing. Like I, I feel like people need to be urged to, to explore, to look at different things, to try, try different systems, different styles, different approaches. Cause you, you got to find what works. Like I said before, like in your environment, you know, in your context, you know, especially like what you're saying, like if this, like if this way keeps you injury free, well, that's kind of more important than anything else. Because if you're going to get injured jumping, I, even if, like if I could argue this, imagine I could tell you like, okay, if you jump this way, you jump style X, you could maybe jump like the world record once, but it's going to destroy your body. Yeah, you won't be able to walk. Yeah, or you could jump like you know, nineteen four, nineteen six, and never be injured. I mean, I know what I'm picking. I don't, I don't yeah, know about you. Me too, you know? man. I'd, I'd choose non-injury all day. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I, I mean, that that's the thing, and it's like it's kind of like I, I think about sometimes, uh, like like Sam Kendricks as an example. I mean, that guy is just so consistent. You know what I mean? Right. Like he's so dialed in, and he can he can jump that that you know nineteen three to nineteen eight bar like almost every meet. You know, which is what makes him so competitive. Like if you can only hit that mark once in a season, that's that's tough. You got to hope that you do it on the right day. You know. Yeah, that's that's the hard part about our sport. You know, like Scott Houston last year jumped nineteen was nineteen two at indoors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. And and he still didn't get a sponsor after that. Yeah, <laughs> that's the that's the heartbreaking part of our okay. sport. Yeah, you want to hear something crazy, right? So yeah. at my college, right, uh, we had this kid. He he set the indoor uh, national record for Division three. Ran a sub four minute mile, whatever. So he got picked up in one of these like running groups. He ran at Boston University at one of their big meets this year, and he came in second to the guy that was like I don't know broke some record or whatever. Uh, but like he got twenty thousand dollars for that race. Jeez. I'm like, dude, in pole vault you don't get shit for anything. It's crazy. Like you you could win USA's this that, and you're not like you're not getting a bonus like often. You know what I mean? Uh, it's it's so crazy. Like the equivalent, like and look, I, if you don't feel comfortable talking about it, you don't have to. Oh, but it's I'm like, totally cool, man. but like when uh, what did you place at USA's third? Uh, I got second in second. 2014. Okay, yeah. yeah. So you got second. I mean, I, I don't know how much money you got from that, but it's like this guy just ran some random me and, you know, whatever, and he got extra 20000 thrown at him. And it's like – and he's not like – I don't even know if he'll ever make an Olympic team, this kid. You know what I mean? And right. and that's why it's like for me, I feel strongly about the pole vault community needs to do its own stuff. And we need to like grow locally. You know what I mean? Like I feel like yeah. people put more local stuff out there, like more meets. And, you know, if we, we charge spectators like last summer, I, I think I told you last summer I had a meet here. We charged $10 for spectators. Nothing crazy, but we had a DJ. We had a food truck. It was fun. Um, I gave out like cha- like wrestling championship belts to the open winners, you know. Yeah, awesome. And and because of the spectator money, we were able to give you know prize money out, which I think is like cool. And like people could be doing that in their local areas and kind of grow those markets, you know, if they think locally. You know, I think sometimes we get ahead of ourselves in pole vault, and we're like, we got to get on ESPN, and it's like, okay, let's slow down. Let's, you know, we got to build our local areas. <laughs> before we jump on ESPN. I mean, look at how long it took UFC to get an ESPN contract. Right. You know? And so, I mean, what yeah, are your thoughts on some of that? Yeah, I, uh, I, 
I definitely think we need to take matters to our own hands now. Like that, that just has to happen. I'm, I, I get, I seem to get in this fight, or I get heated pretty quick when people are like, "We need, we need ESPN or Sports Center or something like that." And I'm like, "No, no we don't. Like we used to. You know, yeah. when there was only a handful of channels and no internet, right? <laughs> right. Then you needed it, but like now you can go out and create this stuff on your own." Like you right. don't need it anymore, and the community will find it. Because if I've learned anything about pole vault community, they're searching for pole vault stuff all the time. Right. And so, just create it. You know. It's, yeah. It's really not that hard, and you know, ESPN would be cool and great and all. But um, I I don't know what they would add except to bring other people into the sport who might not see it all the time. Right. Know? Right. So, which which can be big, but yeah, I I, I like you said, needs to start small. So just put it online man there's a lot of ways to do that yeah and uh yeah but it definitely needs to start by people you know either creating street meets or creating these you know little meets like or not little meets but these meets like you did these championship yeah, series yeah I mean, it's a little know. meet you could say little <laughs> oh, no I mean it wasn't a little meet but I, I guess I look at the whole sport as kind yeah. of like a, a small sport but these mm-hmm. these you know little hubs all over the United States or, or Europe even and just start and then what I keep finding is people start these street meets, you know, and they do it once because they realize how hard it was. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, but it I keeps mean, getting easier every year. And mm-hmm. just like, oh, well, your first time is going to be a disaster. You know, it's, it's well, well, you know, it was funny. Well. I remember when you posted stuff about um, that cave vault. <clears throat> yeah, and and you you know the way you ended the video, I'm sure that some people are like, oh, he sounds like he's just talking about money now, like he just wants money. But it's like. Dude, if there's no money in the sport, it can't continue. Like someone needs to make money. You know, it's like when someone puts on a meet, it's like there has to be money coming in. You know what I mean? Like nobody can just do everything for free all the time. And I feel like that's something that needs to be changed in the, in the track community is understanding that if you want this, then, then you show that by paying for it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a hard one. I, I've been dealing with that one since I started this whole thing is, Mm -hmm. yeah. Money, money in, in track and field is hard, and I've struggled with that too. But if you want anything to grow, especially, I, I wish we didn't have to deal with money. I wish yeah. like, you could just have food and, and a house, yeah. and, you know, all this <laughs> stuff. Or I just, I really do. Yeah. I wish we lived in that society. Right, <laughs> but, um, I get you. But this one doesn't, man. Like this society, money is the fuel to, to build things. So right. you want to build a pole community or a meet or a runway, or you want more poles, you need money. You know, and yeah. that's. Un- I, I'm, I don't even think it's unfortunate anymore. It's just the way it is. You well, know? And, and, um, and you know so what? I, mindsets I, have to change. Yeah. I mean, and, and Sean, like, I feel like, you know, me and you have a similar mindset. Like, I, I would coach for free if I could. I, I, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't right. charge anybody any anything because I, I love this sport. But, you know, like I, like you said, I need food. I, I need shelter, you know. Um, and the, th- the thing is, people want to pay. Like, like for years, I didn't do this like rent a coach program, but there are schools out there and there are head coaches that, I mean, they're gladly giving me the money to help out their, their, their schools. And so, I mean, for anybody who listens to the podcast, wherever you are in the country, I'm sure if you are a pole vault coach and you have any kind of notoriety in your area, you know, if you offer that people will pay. I mean, like, cause I did the, here's the economics of it. Like think about it this way in our area, um, a high school coach, an assistant gets paid anywhere between three to $5,000. Right? right now, a lot of times they don't want to give it to a pole vault person because that's one event. 
which I totally – like if we think about it from an economic standpoint, oh, it, it totally makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. So now what I do is I charge $100 for each visit. If I go 10 times to that school, that's $1,000. That's way cheaper than getting an assistant coach. And I'm doing a clinic and I'm teaching one of their assistant coaches who maybe deals with other events how to coach the pole vault. I mean there's huge value in that and that's huge value for me as well. You know, because right. one, I'm I could potentially bring more more kids to my club, but also I'm getting paid for my time. I I, I mean I yeah. think that's fair. You know, I, yeah, I think it's a great idea, man. Keep running with that one. Well, and just to go off of the meets too, like this is something that I think is crazy. Like, all right, like when you go to a track meet, and if you're an open athlete and whatever, I feel like people are so used to like paying like twenty, thirty bucks to go to a meet. And what I feel like people don't understand is like the economics of a twenty to thirty dollar entry fee makes sense for the track. Because think about how many people can run at a meet, but the economics don't make sense in the pole vault. And what I always bring up to people, I'm like, dude, people are paying like a hundred bucks to go to like a Spartan race or a Mud Runner, you know, and stuff like that. And I'm not saying pole vault meets need to be a hundred bucks, but if we start to think about creating an event that people really want to go to and making it enjoyable for all age groups. People will be willing to pay more than thirty bucks for oh, you know totally. for a pole vault. Especially meet. parents, they want they want to invest in their kids. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it feels good. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, yeah. Just just to go along the same example, but I always think of the poll situation where people just give polls to their schools. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're like, oh, I just give back at the end. And I I wish just more people would rent them out. You right. know, if they have these extra polls, because they're like, ah, oh, you know. It's, someone did it for me when i was younger which is which is great yeah. if you want to build your system you know you rent it out and then if you rent out three poles all of a sudden you have money to buy another one and then you right. just help your system and anybody else who needs more poles down the road yeah i think that's the easiest one for people to chew on where yeah money does help and it's important and mm-hmm. yeah you could rent them out you'd feel good but you'd also feel good if you had a new pole along with it yeah. Yeah. No, I look, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I feel like a, a lot of what people have done over the years, it's been very like for free voluntary, which is awesome. But then like those people don't stick around because that's, that's well, what I've noticed out. over the years. Yeah. You know? Because, well, yeah, they, of course. Go, go ahead. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. They, they just get fried, man. And I, it sounds like you've seen the same thing. Mm-hmm. They just go, well, this, the work reward ratio kind of is flipped on its head. Yeah. <laughs> it's too much work and not enough reward. Right. Well, I think sometimes the reward for people initially is like, oh, they want to win that county title or a state title or whatever. And once they've kind of accomplished that, they're like, well, like, why am I still doing this? Like, you know what I mean? And it's like, and they walk away. Whereas, like, yeah. if they're getting money for it, if it's helping them out, you know what I mean, and they enjoy it, they clearly enjoy it, then they can justify it. I just, I know too many coaches, you know, where, you know, at a certain point, it's like they can't justify to their husband or wife or, or their family that they're spending all these weekends at meets and yeah, nothing's and, coming and in. Money. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, it's tough, you know? Um, so. I, I don't know. I, I, and I think the thing is, obviously, you know, and I guess I'm preaching to the choir, you know, pole vaulting is an amazing sport. It's fun. I, I think definitely like you and I have both learned a lot about life through this sport, you know, and I think a lot of other people have too. Um, but for it to become a successful sport and for more people to, to 
get that from the sport, you know, we have to start thinking more business minded. Like I, I think so many more people could open up clubs. You know what I mean? Like I, I pinch myself almost every day. I can't believe like, you know, I don't have to go work in an office, sit in a cubicle. I don't, you know what I mean? It's like, I literally yeah. coach pole vaulting every day. You know, it's hard. I'm not saying, you know, it's easy. I put in a lot of hours, you know, and all that stuff, but it's like, it's just insane. Like I coach pole vaulting, like other people have to do crazy shit they don't like. So it's like, you know, it's like, I feel like that is a possibility and more people can do it. You know, I think they can too. I, I've had this thought, and maybe maybe you'll have some insight on it. But mm-hmm. do you think maybe the global community just likes to be a small town instead of uh, be a big city? You know? Yeah. Um, so it's funny because I, I I'm like we had an original thought of what we were going to do on this podcast. We totally went somewhere else, but that's, oh, yeah, it's bad. okay. No, it's okay. <laughs> I think it's been awesome. But I just like because I think it's connected a little bit. But yeah, I mean. I think there is that like a little bit small town mentality because I think like think about what we just went over, right? Like a lot of people are volunteers. It's a part time thing. They like and people like the notoriety of like I'm that guy, I'm that gal that everybody comes to for pole vaulting help. And you just kind of like, you know what I mean? You dip your toes in in the water a little bit, but you don't jump in, you know? Yeah. And that's okay. The thing is like you can't do that, let's say, in football. You literally can't. Like, if you wanted to be a volunteer football coach in most areas, you have to know someone. You have to have a resume. You had to have played in this division or whatever. And you, you know what I mean? Just to get a volunteer position. I mean, right. when um, we went to – I don't know if you ever heard of Elite FTS, their equipment supplier, anybody who wants strength and conditioning information, I highly recommend checking out EliteFTS.com. But um, we went out to their Stronger Business Summit in Ohio, and we toured Ohio State's athletic uh, facilities. The guy walking us around was this jack dude. He definitely like did something in Division One, and he was like one of the strength and conditioning interns. Like all he was getting was room and board. He wasn't getting paid, and that's just to be an intern at Ohio State. And he had to be so highly qualified. Like this guy was so professional, so professional. Like Sean, I can't tell you how impressed I was of this kid. Like he knew. Everything about the facilities, about the program. He was, he, you know, I had a conversation with him about strength and conditioning, very knowledgeable guy. And I think to myself, sometimes the people I meet who are coaching pole vault, who are like the coach at this college or high school, not on that level, not as professional. And so I feel like our entry point, like it's, it's a lower level of entry you know, to get involved in this sport. And I don't think people ever have that vision of taking it bigger, you know? Yeah. And and I guess it goes back to that. Like, do they want to, or do they like this lower entry of, or lower level of entry, you know? Yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't know. So that's, I think for people like me or you who kind of want everyone to experience this sport because it's changed our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, do we have enough other people in the sport who want to do that too? Because without that, if we, it's like we kind of need a small army, you know, of yeah. people who want who want this thing to grow. But if people are content, you know, with where they're at, I, I don't see it moving. Yeah, it's, it's quick. It's, well, I, I, I'll t- I'll tell you right. Like I told you in the beginning of the podcast, like you kind of inspired me to do the social media stuff, right? Yeah. The reason I was inspired to even start a pole vaulting club was because Mike Lorick started Vertical Assault in PA. And I literally, Sean, I remember standing in his club and I'm like, dude, I would love to have a pole vaulting club like this someday. And Mike looked at me. He's like, are you sure about that? (laughs) 
because <laughs> Mike knew like all the work that it would take. But but like that's the thing. It's like I I would have never thought that was possible if Mike didn't have vertical assault. You know what I mean? And so it's like I think like you know you putting out your information, me putting out my information. I mean. I, I was like so humbled last year. Uh, Jacob Sanders, he started a pole vaulting club in Maryland because he started listening to the podcast. He literally, like, Sean, this is so funny to me. Like, because I'm like walking out of the meet, right? I literally said like two words to this guy. He asked, like, oh, is there a tape measure down? I'm like, the runway's marked. This was at 8 in, eight in the morning, right? Yeah. I'm leaving the meet at 5 p.m. And this guy runs up to me, Jacob. And he's like, hey, hey, I know your voice. <laughs> I was like, what an odd thing to hear, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, what's up? And he starts asking me questions about starting a pole vaulting club. And he started it last summer. And literally awesome. went from like almost zero marketing, nothing, to 35 kids in one summer. You That's know? incredible, man. Yeah. And so it's like it's, it's definitely possible, you know? It's just – and I think there's people that want to. It's not maybe all the people that are like currently involved or that maybe have higher positions because I think – Look, I think for a lot of people, like if you're just coaching, let's say at a Division One school, you know, and it's and look, you know, there's a lot of D one coaches. They're vol- voluntarily coaching. They're not getting paid for it either. They're just happy with that, and it's something that they do. And and listen, respect to those people. I don't want to make it sound like I'm bashing anybody who doesn't want to open up a pole vaulting club. Like you do not have to, but I think that the more people that know that that's a possibility, the more people that that will go out and do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. It, dude, you're already doing it. So, I mean, you, you, your podcast started a club, dude. That's what put on that podcast resume. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I was super pumped, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing, too. I think that a lot of people, you know, they're looking for information about, you know, how to go about maybe running a business or like, like even you talking about like renting out the polls. Like I'm sure there's some guy out there. Like, I didn't even think about that. Like, why not rent the polls? Cause I, I know, you know, like kind of going off of that renting polls thing. I'm sure there's someone out there that's been like handing out polls, like letting people borrow and it's starting to become overwhelming. Oh yeah. That's... You know what I mean? And it's like, well, if you start charging one, less people will ask. But then the people that will ask are going to take care of it better. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and and you'll get compensated for it, you know? Totally. Yeah. And, and, and that's kind of what I've tried to do with the vlog, too, is I don't know who who, are, who these are going to reach. You know, I, I never know. And then you just yeah. kind of put it out there and hope. <laughs> yeah. And I've got some cool stories, kind of like the one you just shared, too. And it's those, those are what makes you keep wanting to do it. You know, like mm-hmm. that's what's filled my gas tank full of gas for sure um yeah i, I i'm still i i yeah i don't, I don't know i'm still kind of on the fence on i i can't tell where the pole vault community wants to go you know it, mm-hmm. but um i think you're right there are definitely people like who want to see it become a big city <laughs> if we want to keep using that analogy yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh yeah i i just don't know where to find all of them and how to get a hold of them. Well, I, I think about sometimes, too, it's like, you know, someone like uh, in UFC, there's, you know, the guy who runs it is Dana White, you know? Yep. And, I mean, if not for Dana White, where would mixed art, martial arts be today? You yeah. know what I mean? So it's like, I mean, obviously there's other people that became influential and important along this journey, you know, for UFC. But, you know, it's going to take some individuals 
who really want something, you know, to happen, uh, to do it, you know? Um, but I, I definitely think it's possible. You know, I definitely think it's possible. Yeah. Um, I guess, so just to, I, just to wrap up, I, I know we went to a whole different direction, but, um, I wanted to ask you this question before, I, before I let you go. Um, why, like, how come more people, like what I love about your vlog and what I, what I try and I hope I'm accomplishing is to give out information about like technique or drills or, or, or a system in the most digestible way, like easy for people to understand. Like, why do you think so many people, like when they do put out content, it's, it's almost like, it's like no one's going to take it, be able to understand that they're not going to be able to apply it. They, they try to make pole vault sound so complicated. What what do you think that's about? And maybe that's connected to what you asked before about the, the small town thing, you know? Yeah, I think, I personally think there's two reasons. One, I don't think they understand the event well enough. Um, mm-hmm. we were talking before there's, I've gotten contact by a lot of physics professors and teachers and things too. Like, mm-hmm. oh, if you did the pole vault this way and you're going, yeah, but you're not taking this into account. You forgot these 12 variables. And right. like, oh, oh God. And so they haven't one done the event. Two, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> even seen it. They've only seen it on paper and there's, all these things you can't even measure that, you know, so there, there's number one. So yeah. they don't understand it well enough. So they have to, you know, go through this huge giant process to try and explain it. I think that's number one. I think number two is kind of what you were talking about. Some, some people just like to, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe it's just they don't understand it, but it, you get this sense that they just want to sound more intelligent by throwing big words out there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, what I always say is like some people like word salad. You know, it's like if you say enough things, you know, use big enough words and mix them together, you sound awfully smart. And I, I always, I always give the example. It's like if you're ever like at a pole vault coaches clinic, you know, and you're sitting in the audience and, you know, a coach will be explaining something and you see like the whole crowd just nodding their head up and down and then you turn to the guy next to you you, go, you understand what he just said and the guy's like not really i'm like so why are you nodding like you know a little stop and stop hurting my brain <laughs> yeah so i i mean sometimes that that's that's it and, and look maybe the presenter sometimes knows what they're explaining or saying but they're not putting it out there in a way that other people can understand and i think that's really important i mean look we've all had good teachers and bad teachers good coaches and bad coaches or instructors but it's like you know, some people are very knowledgeable. They just don't know how to express that. I mean, like, I, I, I guess I'll use a science example, but like Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, the reason he's so famous as a scientist is because he can help regular people like me understand, you know, astronomy or physics, you know? And, and so it's like, that's important too. Like people need to be able to present this stuff in a way that other people can understand, you know? Yeah. That's, and just to play devil's advocate, like I, I get flack on the other side. Mm-hmm. All those guys, I have this video called like a swunch. So there's a, I say there's like mm-hmm. a swing in an invert or a swing in a punch. Mm-hmm. And so you should combine them into a swunch. It shouldn't be two separate movements. And right, right, you know, right. I, I've gotten a lot of crap on not just that video, but a bunch of other ones like, oh, this is too simple. It's not that simple. <laughs> you, know? you know, which, uh, it, it is, it can be, you know, if, if you just, explain it that way and i think that's always the goal with especially these i mean your podcasts are a little longer but i have literally three minutes you know mm, to, yeah. to make a video and you're doing youtube stuff now too so you it's mm. like you you have almost zero time right to take this really complicated movement 
with a stick yeah <laughs> and trying to convince or not convince but show somebody how it works so it's it's challenging complicated and you leave out you have to leave out some things and you have to figure out what's the most important to talk about that are going to give people the biggest bang for their buck and uh, i think i i get the sense that people think me and you make it look easy <laughs> it's we sit here, I, I don't know about you, but I sit here for hours, like, okay, how do I explain right. the trail leg in a way that nobody's heard where I can mm. do it in one sentence? Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I I agree, and, and I think also, mm. yeah, like, you know, maybe even some of my videos make it sound easy, but it's also because I've been coaching for so long now, and we, we have such a high volume of athletes that come in and out of the club, and I mean, here's the other thing, you know, for anybody out there who is thinking about starting a club, you have to be good with beginners, if it takes you three months to get a beginner off the ground, you're not going to have a business. So it's like that first day someone comes in, they have to feel success. They have to feel like they are getting the concepts, you know? And so it's like, I've had to, I've had to, um, you know, make my system digestible to people very easily, you know? And so it's like that, that's something that took years to do. I didn't create this system like overnight. So just like you, it's like, yeah, it takes time. And then now even to put it on YouTube, oh my goodness, that's like, I, I've got to rethink <laughs> that too. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think the part of the problem too, and I think it's like layers, you know, there's layers to this, you know, like the way you have to introduce a concept to a beginner is vastly different than like trying to help someone jump 550 for the first time, 18 feet. You know what I mean? Like th that's a deeper layer. And I feel like that's something that we don't have enough respect for in our sport is that there's, there's layers to this game. You know, it's just like if we're playing video games, the skills and the speed that you play level one at are not the same as level 10. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. I, th I think we're, correct me if I'm wrong if we're talking about the same thing, but yeah, mm -hmm. I see coaches coaching their beginners the same way they coach their state champion, which correct. I completely yeah. disagree with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a beginner, all my goal is like, if I have a kid for the first days, I want them to get off the ground, hang on the pole and land in the pit and then not die. Yeah. If they do that, we had a really good first day. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then I tell them that I'm like, you're an official pole vaulter. Yeah. You can swing on the pole and just land in the pit and not die. That's it. Like, yeah. Really? I can be a, I'm your pole vaulter for life. Like your, yeah. your card will be in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so we do that. And if they, like, I would never say that to like an older jumper. Cause right. they, they leave. Right. They, they, like, they need jump. more. They need more. They need you have more. to give them yeah. so, something else. And, and, and so that, that's, that's super important. People have to understand the, those different levels, you know, and it's like what you, what you do with a beginner is very different from an expert. Mm -hmm. And the thing is like going back to like building the sport up, if you want more numbers of people doing it, then you have to make people feel successful and you have to be able to get them off the ground and make them feel like a part of the sport from the beginning. If you want right. to be elitist and be like, oh, Dude, I had this girl jumping yesterday and she couldn't even wrap nine on her first day. It's like, and like that's first day, like who cares? You know, like, yeah, you know, this, this opens up an interesting, like, I know when, when I was part of USPA, we were talking about, I, I know I talked to you about it too. It's mm -hmm. like, I wish there was a pamphlet or a binder or an ebook or something that taught people how to, um, start a club and yeah. how to run a street meet. Mm -hmm. These are the basics you need, and here's how you can make money that first year, so you can do it again the second yeah. year. And th there isn't, you know. And mm -hmm. I, w I wish I had time to create those things, but 
know, yeah. hopefully someone else does if they're listening to this. Yeah. Well, no, and, <laughs> There'd be a lot of value there. Yeah, and that's that's the thing that I think about too because it's like I'm slowly – I mean with – I do write articles too on my website. I'm, you know, I try to post on Instagram and make the YouTube videos. So I'm kind of like – collecting this like uh, mass of information and then I'm yeah. hoping at some point to kind of maybe either condense or expand it into like like you said like an ebook or something like that um, yeah. because I think that that would be helpful I mean these are these are topics that are important because if people don't know how to run a meet or what to expect and what costs there there will be and how much how much even like insurance should be. I mean, like, dude, I'm so grateful. Uh, the Starkeys, you know, I was, I was talking to them during indoor USAs and Dean told me about the insurance that they go through. Oh my God. Saved me thousands of dollars. You know, I like, I, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I've, I've never had like a, a facility, like a club mm-hmm. with yeah, a yeah. facility. So like, that's all, that's all new to me. So when people ask me those questions, I, I got to like send them out to like you or, <laughs> yeah, clubs, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, like, like I said, man, if, I will push as many people I can towards that book if you, if you make that. <laughs> it needs, it needs, yeah. There needs to be a new Bible. Yeah, I mean, it, it won't be coming out anytime soon, but ho- yeah. hopefully, you know. Um, but hey, you know what? Let's let's wrap it up. Uh, also, I'm gonna have to start practicing in a few minutes. But um, but thanks for doing uh, you know the the podcast. This was a great episode. I, I one of my favorites. Um, Sean, is there anything you want to put out, like any of your social media or anything that you want to say before we end the the podcast? Um, yeah, if if you just want to see anything that I'm doing, go to team-hoot.com and uh, just click on the pull vault section. I'll pull you out all my YouTube and Instagram stuff. And yeah, this will, this will be my last summer. I'm just kind of doing a last hurrah. So if you okay. want to follow my journey, it's all on YouTube. Awesome, awesome. And for everybody out there listening, thanks for listening. Uh, any questions, just email us at apexvaulting at gmail.com. Our website is just apexvaulting.com. Um, thanks again. Yeah, have a good one, man.